Thank you. Thank you. Uh, would you turn your Bibles, please, to the 23rd Psalm? Psalm 23. When Barry told me what he was going to be doing, I told him that uh, this has got to be a, really a big surprise for his mother. And uh, being 80 is a heroic deed in itself. But she lost her daughter earlier this year, Barry's sister, uh, from a rare brain disease. And then uh, lost her husband, Barry's father, just a couple of years ago. And um, she hasn't seen all the kids and grandkids together and for I just could see the joy that would be in her heart and how God would minister to her. So I said, okay, that's legitimate. I'll be there Sunday. <laughs> You're going to Hawaii or something like that? Mm-mm. Um, we all know Psalm 23. Even if we don't know it, we know it. We've heard it somewhere. It's considered probably the most prolific read thing of the Bible around the world for believers and non-believers. And it's very simple. It's uh, six verses, and it's only a hundred words. But there are so many topics that are spoken in those six verses, and so many pointers, like an usher in a theater with the lights out, and he's got his flashlight showing you the aisle you're going to sit in. Uh, it shows us how to get to heaven. And, and it shows us how, we, on our way to heaven, fear can attack us, and problems can come. Uh, and then David, who wrote it, was a shepherd, but he relates us, the reader, as sheep. And, of course, in the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, and he's also called the good shepherd. So as we read this, just realize a shepherd is right, reading this. And he's been out in cold weather, warm weather with sheep, when he talked to King Saul uh, before he killed the giant, Goliath, he said, uh, I can't wear your armor. Saul was locked with fear in his tent, the king. And here comes this teenage boy up to say, I'll go after that giant. And he said, well, then you have to put on my breastplate and my helmet and get my sword and everything. And he put it on and he was... Too small. The Bible says that uh, actually Saul was one of the tall, King Saul was one of the tallest men in the country. And if a crowd of people are around and you see this guy that's taller than everybody else, you're probably looking at the king from a distance or, or nearby if you didn't recognize him. And so we can imagine this not completely developed teenage boy, uh, his muscles, his uh, brain power, everything is still growing, and he's going after this giant. And uh, he said to Saul, I can't take your armor. Uh, I'll do it the way I've been trained. And uh, he said, when I was watching my father, Jesse's sheep, one time a bear came and grabbed one of the lambs. And I went after him and clubbed him. Another time, a lion came in to the flock and stole the little lamb. And I grabbed him by the hair of his chin. That's where the term, by the hair of the chinny-chin-chin, chin, the three pigs got that. Uh, so he uh, says, um, I, I, took, I grabbed him by the hair. Otherwise, David had a courageous, fearless uh, stance as a, as a boy for righteousness, right and wrong. 
And he wasn't going to let his father's sheep be grabbed off by some lion. So imagine that, that you go to a lion and grab him by the beard and then just knock him crazy. So he knows what it's like to be a good shepherd. Uh, when Samuel came to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, he asked if he could see all of his sons. And there were seven brothers there. And uh, he said in his own heart, wow, this guy is tall. He's handsome. Surely this is the one to be anointed. And the Lord said, not him. And then, surely this man, he's got such broad shoulders and he looks strong. And No, not that man. And uh, he got to the very end and he says, is there any other son you have that I haven't met? Because God was waiting. It's interesting. Those seven brothers were at home in the middle of the day watching Oprah. And uh, (laughs) David was out in the field watching the sheep. He was looking after his dad's assets. That's the heart that God loved about David and raised him up to be the king because he knew that he would look at the flock of God as sheep. And he knew what it was like in good weather, bad weather, great sacrifice, um, everything he needed to know as a king by being a shepherd. So, Father, we come before you as a family right now and bow our hearts in humility and just want to tell you we love you. And we're so grateful that you love us and that you always have your arms stretched out. You always want us to know more about you and get closer to you and become more like your son. And so as we look at this very simple song this morning, we want to thank you. Knowing that we're all different, we would pray, dear Lord, that your spirit would minister to each of our needs, whatever they would be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you mind standing up? And I'd like to read this out loud with you if we could. We could do this together. Are you ready? On three. We're really on verse one, but on the count of three. One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can be seated. Like I mentioned, it's short, and um, it's only a hundred words, but there's so much that is in here. In the Hebrew language, there's only 55 words. So they compacted all of this into half of what English language says. But yet the English language had to multiply the words to get the expression and the depth of those 55 Hebrew words. So there's a lot here. You see a man who many times in the Psalms, he said he had heart problems. 
physical as he got older. Uh, his circulation when he uh, died was so poor that they couldn't keep his temperature up, so they got beautiful virgin girls to come in and lie in the bed with him to warm his body up, and that didn't help him at all. That's a crazy way to do therapy, I think, but uh, it didn't help him, and that tells you that guy's dead already. And he, uh, he understood what it was like to grow old. He understood what it was like to be a teenager and fight a nine-foot-tall man. He understood what it was like to be courageous and bold and outspoken. He also found out what it was like to be disliked and hated and threatened all the time. And he found out what it was like to have a family in disarray and dysfunctional and uh, kids turn against him. And he also knows what the chastisement of the Lord is. We know that when he committed adultery with the woman called Bathsheba, that the Lord dealt severely with him. And uh, David was a repenter, and he was a man. The Psalms, we see him as a godly man that fears God and acknowledges that he's weak. And yet at the time, he was multi-billionaire in today's economy. His son even exceeded his wealth, and uh, he understood life. And a shepherd needs to understand life, and especially if he's looking after sheep, he needs to find out all the strengths and the weaknesses. Uh, Sheep, we're called through the New Testament, and we understand that sheep have no weapons. They don't have fierce claws so they can go after those that attack them. They don't have fangs hanging out of their mouth. They don't carry a pistol on them or a Lambo rifle. Uh, they, they have nothing. They fall over on their back and they haven't been cheered lately. They're going to die on their back. They don't even have the strength to roll themselves over. And if it's a hot weather, they're going to die of dehydration, but also of just sunstroke, of getting to their underside that isn't really covered. Um, So he knows all the good things. But now we see that he's writing something that is going to hopefully help everybody that ever reads it. That when we come near death, fear of the unknown can take us. But when we are assured that the shepherd is with us, We go anywhere he leads us. And he learned that he wanted the best food for his sheep, the best water. He he was fearless to have a table laid out before him in the presence of his enemies. And there's a picture for the church. There's a picture for him as a shepherd that his enemies could be wolves. It could be lions. It could be Uh, marauders, nomadic thieves. Um, But God, he said, laid out a banquet table in the midst. And that's a picture of us living in the midst of a crooked and corrupt world, is that in the midst of all the enemies of the church and all the enemies of Jesus and all the enemies of, quote-unquote, more so than ever before in history, uh, Christians and the message, uh, he knew what it was like to be able to be right in the center of all the hostility. And that's so much like Jesus, right in the middle of the hostility. He's hung on a cross. So this gives us courage to keep going. 
It gives us courage to never turn back. It gives us courage that the Good Shepherd is with us, and he's going to help us. No matter what our mind is telling us, or what friends are telling us, or the doctor is telling us, or what the judge is telling us, we're going to trust the Good Shepherd. He's never allowed the lions to pounce on you and thrash you. He's never allowed marauders to come and steal your faith away. He's never allowed you to be a day, an hour, a minute, or a second without the blessings of heaven. He's constantly looking at ways to bless us. And David said in one of his psalms, when I consider your love, that how precious are your thoughts towards me continually. Precious is not a word that's used a lot, but it is a great description how precious of the thoughts of God towards you right now. They're precious thoughts. And you may say, no, he's angry at me. I uh, did something bad this week. No, he has precious thoughts. And he wants you to know that. So when you come to these places where your family, your friends, yourself, where the lights feel like they're going out, that darkness has come upon and your time is near, listen to what David wrote here. Because he dealt with death. Lambs would die. Sheep would die. He was a warrior. He was a mighty warrior, a fearless warrior. He always fought for righteousness, and he trusted God. In fact, in one battle, David had beat their enemy, and God told him to stop. So they stopped where they were. And he said to God, should I now, as they've all retreated into their town, should I now go and destroy them all? And the Lord said, no. See, he's a man that would talk to God and get direction from God. He just doesn't shoot from the hip. He's not just making it up as he goes along. He's a true leader. He seeks the face of the one who made him. Should I go to battle now and finish this off? Burn the city to the ground? No. Okay, I'll wait. Now, he's the king. Who in the world does the king wait for? He gets to make his own decisions. But he saw that God was his king. And God said something very unique. He said, uh, David, when you hear the sound of troops marching as the wind blows through the tops of the mulberry tree, that is your signal to go to war. That's strange, isn't it? And yet, it tells us a lot by the Lord. He's very intelligent. That's sort of poetic. Leaves being blown on the tops of the mulberry trees would be a signal. And isn't it interesting, God knows the names of the trees that he created. It wasn't the apple orchard. It wasn't a pear or an orange. It was a mulberry tree. And you know that Jesus showed this again when Zacchaeus climbed up into a sycamore tree. I think it's so cool that God's detail of his creation is taken into account all through the Bible. And so if he can remember those details... You and I don't need to fear, do we? Because if a sparrow falls to the ground and dies, does not God know it? And are not sparrows sold two for a penny in the marketplace? How much greater are you than a sparrow? So he's got all this detail. And in the midst of it, he has people like us that he has to keep calm, look after, forgive, help us, 
and all the time pointing that climb, that narrow path. We're looking for that straight gate, not a crooked gate, not a double-doored gate. It's a straight gate that leads to eternal life. He lays the detail down that when you are laying on your deathbed at home or in the hospital and you're leaving, you will know there's an intersection. Broad is a road to destruction. And many go in that way, Jesus said. But narrow is the path that leads to that straight gate, and few go there. So we have no idea. I watched my mother die, and I had so many thoughts about it because she was very poor. She had four boys, and uh, she had morals and ethics. And that was about it. We never went to church, really, at all. But all of these boyhood things came as I saw her there on her bed. And then I started realizing how that God miraculously saved my soul, and then at 60 years of age, saved her soul. And she had been running since she was a teenager from the Lord. So God's details are so unique that each one of you may need something here. Now, everybody has a remedy for you. Just tell somebody you've got something. They'll tell you the herb that you can eat. They'll tell you the essential oils that you essentially need. They'll tell you, you know, all these things. Uh, it's like the guy that went to the psychiatrist, and he said, I'm very frightened. He said, why? He said, well, because I think somebody's living underneath my bed. And the psychiatrist says, oh, that's not too unusual. Uh Three appointments, one a week for three weeks, and we'll have this gone. The expense will be $300 per hour. And the man said, whoa, that's a lot of money. So three or four months went by. And the psychiatrist walking through Vaughn's saw the uh, man coming the other way. And he said, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. And uh, why didn't you ever come back and see me? I was going to help you get rid of this situation. He said, oh, it's all taken care of. He said, well, how to get taken care of? He said, well, a bartender uh, told me to go home and saw the legs off my bed, and it only cost me 10 bucks. <laughs> I love it that you laugh at corny jokes. That's great. Um, so here we go. We'll dive in. There's millions of things that you can see in here, but let's just see if there's something this morning that would help uh, all of us. So he said, um, the Lord is my shepherd. So that's a, a settled deal. He is. It's a fact. He's my shepherd. Otherwise, if we have a shepherd, we are obedient and we're submissive to the authority of the shepherd. And there are a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they're not obedient to the Lord's word nor of his authority in in their life. But yet David said the Lord is emphatically. He is my shepherd. That's who's ruling me. When I was a brand new Christian, I was reading the Psalms, and I I think it was 141, somewhere in there, and it said that uh, in his prayer, God, I do not exercise myself in things that are too high above me. And I set my Bible down, and I thought, well, this is the most powerful king in the world at the time. Who would there be above him that he wouldn't have authority with? But you see, he understood there's a devil. The demons believe there's a God, James said, but they fear and tremble, saying to the Christians in the early church, 
Well, you talk about demons. They fear God. He's really saying more than you do because they fear and tremble. The demons know what's coming. Many times God's people don't get in the word and understand what's coming. And I remember I had just come back in 2015 on a Sunday morning here. I've been in northern Iraq helping with the rescued uh, Yazidi girls and women that were kidnapped by ISIS, raped, beaten, and sold as sex slaves. And um, unfortunately, we, we were told that was all taken care of. But this week, Syria has gone after with the Turks across their border to kill Kurds. But now we're finding out that it isn't just about killing the Kurds. It's about killing the Christians. ISIS didn't get them all. And it's our brothers and sisters, as we sit here in relative safe surroundings, that are dying this morning. And they're no respecter of persons, these people. Little boys, little girls, pregnant women, old men, young men. They just have a heart for blood. Now, Kurdistan is divided up into four areas. In uh, Belfort um, Agreement in 1917, they knew that the Kurds were a huge, huge group. So they put 25% in Syria, 25% in Turkey, 25% in Iraq, and 25% in Iran, thinking this would calm them down. So the president of Turkey, Erdogan, says these people are terrorists. So when our American news reports it, 100 terrorists were killed today. Well, he calls them that because they want their own autonomous state. And he knows he's got millions inside his country, and now they're arresting any Kurd that speaks out in the country about what Mr. Erdogan is doing in killing their families just five miles across the border. So they want freedom. And they're not terrorists like you and I would think. And when we pulled away, everybody warned this is what happened in Iraq. And I saw it firsthand. And we're seeing it again, that America is pulling away from its allies. And brothers and sisters of yours are being murdered. And beyond that, these are animals. And we have to take this seriously. Barry brought out, Pastor Barry brought out a great point in World News Briefing this last week we were together. And it was about, and I had forgotten this, the Medes, and you can remember in Daniel that told the great empires there's a medial Persian empire. The Medes are the Kurds. And Magog encompasses uh, where the Medes lived. And Gog, the leader of all the war from Russia, uh, would draw all these allies in to go against Israel. And America is not mentioned at all. And now I can see clearly why. But when Barry brought up the idea that we're talking about the Kurdish people, that we're actually talking about the Medes and that world power lust that is in the Middle East, uh, they want them all dead. They don't want them. Iran wants everything. Turkey wants everything. And quietly, Russia and China sit miles across the border from Israel ready to go in. So if the Lord isn't your shepherd, these are really frightening times 
Because the war of Ezekiel 38, Magog, has started. The bullets are flying this morning. And all they're doing is clearing out all the border areas so that the multitudes that are going to come to take Israel can get across. And the Kurds would stop the Russians. They're tough fighters. They would stop the Russians. They'd stop the Turks. The Russians have all the weaponry that would ultimately stop them. But you remember it says in the book of Revelation that the kings of the east shall march across the Euphrates River. Well, the battle started just east of the Euphrates River this last week. They're clearing the way. And so God is clearing not just the landing pad. He's clearing the liftoff pad for the church. But how can you and I feel good about anything, knowing that we are now aware that in the first two or three days of battle, over 100 Christians were murdered? How can we not stand back but get on our knees and pray? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Psalms say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And are you praying for the peace of Jerusalem? But here we pull away and immediately they go after the Christians and the Kurds because too many were left behind by ISIS. And we now see that the enemies in Ezekiel 38 are all ready to pounce. And we always have asked the question, where's America? And the answer from the head of our government said, I was elected on the thought that we would pull out all of these from all of these wars. In the Mideast, we spent $8 trillion. That should have cleared up every ghetto in America. We've spent so much money. But it may be why we're not heard of. And at the same time, when Benjamin Netanyahu saw this take place, he said, Israel can only rely on itself, recognizing that we have used them. And this is what the Bible says. No one will deliver Israel, but God's right hand will come down and save his people. So we are so close. The bullets are flying this morning. And this is a time to get your heart into the hand of your father and be blessed in his presence on a daily basis. Now here's something that's uh, in these six verses caught my attention. A lot of strength, a lot of confidence, and absolute peace. When you're a pastor, you go to people's homes and You stand beside them in their bed and go to the hospitals or, in some cases, kneel down on the side of the highway and you pray for people that heaven will be open to them and God will bless them. This simple psalm starts with the word Lord. The Lord. Not any God, not any Lord. Apostle Paul said he's the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings, and at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord unto the glory of God. So we have strength and confidence when it even comes up to our turn to die. It begins with the word Lord, but it ends with the word forever. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But to get there, we have to have him here in our hearts. 
And he must be our Lord and our shepherd, that we're submissive to him, and God will take you. Anne Graham Lotz um, has been a friend for many years, her family also, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Graham. And she just released a new book called Jesus in Me. And as I was reading through it, I came across something that I think would be a blessing from Psalm 23. That's not her intention, but I saw this as I was reading it. And I just want to read it. It comes from her new book, Jesus in Me. The Comforter seemed to pull out all stops when my father moved to heaven in February 2018. I received the news by telephone when I was in the presence of a dear friend. She immediately wrapped her arms around me and prayed as we both wept. From that moment forward, I was comforted by my family who surrounded me and by hundreds of friends who left so many voicemails and sent so many text messages to my cell phone that I had to silence it. I'll never forget riding in the motorcade as we escorted Daddy the 120 miles from Asheville, North Carolina, near our family home where he had been living, to Charlotte, North Carolina, his childhood hometown, where he would be buried. The route had been previously published, and the people of North Carolina uh, poured out to show their respects. For the entire route, 120 miles, for the entire route, any cars not already lined up beside either side of the road pulled over and they stopped on both sides of the interstate. By the way, it's coming out of Charlotte Airport. You'll notice right away, Billy Graham Freeway. Imagine what those officials had to go through thinking, what if this guy goes sideways like so many celebrity pastors do? But they named it because they knew his character. He's a man of character. He is transparent. The Lord was his shepherd. And they realized that he had no other agenda but to lead the people of North Carolina into the kingdom of God. What an honor. So Anne brings this out. 120 miles, cars. She says this. Tens of thousands uh, stood beside the road waving homemade signs holding up Bibles or crosses with one hand while the other was placed over their hearts, or solemnly waving, I saw a mother holding a newborn, a father pushing his young daughter in a wheelchair as close to the road as he could get her, a rabbi blowing a shofar, firefighters, with the American flag draped from their ladders on every overpass, 120 miles, every overpass. All the freeway was buzzing, and it was God's way of helping us get through our family's grief. For that moment in time, I felt as if the whole world had stopped to mourn and to weep with us, and I have been Greatly comforted. Now in Hebrews 12.1 it says, uh, Oh, how great a witness we have watching us. And angels 
people possibly can see us down here. I don't know why they would because they're in perfection, but they love us. But imagine this whole great cloud of witnesses that as we walk through this world, they're applauding, they're whistling. They see you struggling with your family, with your finances, with your body aches and pains. They see you not feeling well about yourself. They see you with your failures and your mistakes, and yet from their position, they see God's great glory and love for you that overshadows all that when you're his son or daughter. I'm not going to disown one of our kids because they've erred. It isn't God's intention to throw us away. But imagine if for this man's memorial, 120 miles of a major freeway with every overpass honored by firefighters in the American flag, tens of thousands of people cheering and whistling and thanking God because this one man led me to Jesus. There's a greater cloud of witnesses waiting for you. And when you cross the finish line, it's going to be an amazing experience. But unfortunately, there's always those that are stubborn and proud, and they'd rather go the broad road of destruction. So, like Mission Impossible, this tape will destroy within five minutes. But if you'll take this mission to commit your heart to God this very hour, that until you go to heaven, you do all you can to pray and to love people and to help them find Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want. No, it doesn't say that, does it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So there's a good one for us. What does he mean by that? Anne Graham was hurt. I was invited by her to do her husband's graveside service. She's lost her mom. She's lost her dad. She's lost her husband. She was 17, and Danny was uh, 29, I think, when they married. Uh, she might have just turned 18. And the story is, is that Mr. Graham set this up. Because Danny was a man's man, an all-American basketball player with the Tar Heels in North Carolina, and uh, a godly man. And Billy didn't like Ann's present boyfriend. So that's how that came about. So uh, this guy, he always had 100 to 150 men he was discipling. They were married 50 years maybe, huh? 48, somewhere around there. And even at the graveside, there was a group of men that were his disciples, business people. Business people. And uh, these men were his disciples in the Lord. What a way to go to heaven. That the fruit of your life have people that have been born again and forgiven of their sins standing next to your coffin before it goes six feet into the ground. Would there even be one person standing there? We don't know, do we? But we can know if we surrender our hearts to God. Remember, this is written by a shepherd. And I want to ask you, who is your shepherd? Or what is your shepherd? You say you have Jesus as your shepherd because you're a Christian girl. You're a Christian man. But if you're not sure, let me ask you this. It is the litmus test. What do you want? What are the things you could put on a list? I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. You see, if he's your shepherd, there are no wants. 
He's completed you inside. You are complete in him. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Remember Joseph on the throne when he told his uh, family when they came into Egypt and discovered he was next to Pharaoh? He said, when you talk to Pharaoh, tell him that you are shepherds and you'd like to live in the land of Goshen. And he tells his family, this is why. And he said, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians in Genesis 46, 34. If he is your shepherd, there are no wants. And God will provide for you. A need, on the other hand, is something that's necessary for a person to survive. On the other hand, a want refers to something that a person desires, either right now or in the future. Wants are desires that are optional. Things you and I would want are optional. We don't need them. That you will still be able to go on living even if the want is not met. You feel like, oh, I can't make it without. Yes, you can. In fact, you already have if you've asked him into your heart. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. So people say, the shepherd, if they're despised, an abomination to the Egyptians, why is Psalm 23 all about sheep? Why, why would anything be published that would be offensive to somebody else? You see, there's, there's such questions. Was Jesus born on December 25th? More than likely not. December 25th was pagan holidays, also the winter solstice. December 25th is when Nimrod was born, and his mother was called the Queen of the Heavens. Nimrod was a great and mighty hunter. And so they wanted him to be God, and the, she would be the mother of God. So they took December 25th, and Justine and the Caesar in uh, the early days wanted this new movement of Christians to be one uh, with the pagan religions, and they made it December 25th, like the Babylonian Empire. But we know from the Bible, and that's why it's always good to read the Bible, the details. There were shepherds watching their flock at night. Remember that? And an angel came to the shepherds. Didn't go to the kings and the queens and the rich and the mighty. Went to the humblest, the abomination. The people that are low class. They don't take care of themselves physically. They're out there in the... uh, cold and in the warm and they smell bad. So God allowed his son to become the lowest of the low so that you could see he's a servant and that he loves you. That's why he died, because he loves you. Not because God is mad at you, but he loves you and you're destined to die. But if the Lord is not your shepherd, you're not going to make it. So I found this uh, thing about weather on December 25th, the time of the birth of Jesus. There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night in Luke 2.8. Meteorologists have recordings of the temperature at Hebron near Bethlehem at that time. The temperature readings show over a period of three months that the incidence of, of frost is as follows. In December, it's dropping to 2.8 degrees. In January, 1.6 degrees. In February, 0.1 degrees. Thus, Christmas time, Bethlehem was in the grip of frost. And the promised land, no cattle could have been in the fields in that temperature. The Talmud 
also states that the flocks were to be put out into pasture in the month of March, brought back in beginning of November. That's from the Jewish history. Thus it was both too cold and the wrong time of year for shepherds to be in the field. So it's not December 25th, but it doesn't make any difference what day, really. We love him. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So green pastures is what a shepherd wants his sheep to have. I'm teaching a class on effective leadership uh, on Horizon University's uh, computer program. People take it all around the country and take courses. And um, I find it very interesting, a book I, I bought 40 of when I was making 75 bucks a week as an intern with Pastor Chuck Smith. And I passed them out to everybody that I thought would love it. By Philip Keller. It's called The Shepherd Takes a Look at Psalm 23. And tomorrow morning, they start reading this book and commenting on it. And there's lessons in it I want the students to learn about being an effective leader for the Lord. And uh, this shepherd points out there's two types of shepherds. There's one that will give his life for the sheep, and there's one that's a hireling. And the hireling will run when the wolf comes. But the one who gives his life for the sheep will stand and fight to protect the sheep. And Jesus is standing and fighting for you right now. He makes intercession for you both day and night, while the devil accuses you before the throne of God day and night. And Jesus sits there, and God listens to what the devil has to say, and then he looks at Jesus and he shakes his head, No, she's one of yours, Father. She accepted me 12 years ago. No, he's one of yours, Father. He accepted you 12 minutes ago. No, he's interceding for you right now. He's standing up as a good shepherd and protecting you from the attacks you don't see, nor do you hear. Sheep are skittish. They need still water, not babbling brooks. They don't need loud and fast streams with white caps. It would scare them. But in the cooler months, the shepherd will bring them out of the higher areas. The higher areas during the hot months would have a cooler atmosphere. But while they're laying in green pastures and they're laying beside still waters, he's down the hill getting ready for September. And so he's always ahead of the flock. And so Jesus went through death on the cross that you will not fear when death comes to you. If he made it, you made it. Because he lives, we live. So he's already done the job for us. So remember this. Pastor Chuck Smith always said this. Sheep beget sheep. Shepherds don't beget sheep. They feed the sheep. One thing he drilled into all of us that were to be ministers was that you feed the sheep the best. You give them the Bible and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Ghost and prayer, and the Lord will take it from there. You are the ones that should be reproducing and filling all the empty spaces. You. You're the ones that are to be out there multiplying for the glory of God. And especially since we're so near the end. By the way, while the sheep are in these high places, the good shepherd is in the low grounds. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And only he can restore you. The enemy of your soul works day and night to destroy you. So I want to ask you, are you on 
the right path this morning. Are you on a righteous path or an unrighteous path? Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. In the gospel, his gospel, there's a pardon for rebels. There's liberty for the captives. There's health for the sick and salvation for the lost. And then that last verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever. So I close with this psalm from David, Psalm 27, verse 4, one of my favorite. One thing have I desired of the Lord. I got rid of all my wants. Well, pretty much, I think. Yeah, I better say they're all gone. I might have one or two wants, but he's my shepherd. He'll take care of me. David says, one thing I desire of the Lord, because he's so satisfied in the Lord. That will I seek after. What are you seeking after? He has one thing, and he's focused on that. And this one thing is that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in this temple. Who's your shepherd? Are you overflowing with wants? Are you fearful of the enemies that are around you? Or are you confident, full of strength, and you know your shepherd will take care of you? Are you beholding the beauty of the Lord? Do you go to prayer and you just sit quietly maybe for a while before you even have words come? And you sing a song to the Lord. And in the midst of all that, you now start seeing his kingdom and you see his glory. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will never fear any evil, for thou art with me. And remember, it's only a shadow. And though you may be alone walking through that valley, it's only a shadow. He loves you. And he'll bring you out the other side. Shall we stand and shall we pray? Jesus, you have paths of righteousness, and we want to be on those paths. Speak to our hearts this morning if, by chance, we're on the wrong path. Lord Jesus, please accept our hearts today and forgive us of our sins and release us from the bondage of sin. And if you've never asked God to forgive you for sins, this is a wonderful time to do it right now. Just pray in your own heart a simple prayer. Doesn't that be long or eloquent? Just, dear God, forgive me of my sins. And I pray you'll fill me with your Holy Spirit's love and give me eternal life and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and for your word. Forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen.